I'm going to just do a quick announcement for an upcoming sermon series that I would like to promote in a couple of weeks. Um, I'm going to start a new sermon series called Our Story. And um, the fun thing about this sermon series is that I'm going to use this sermon series in lieu of a membership class because some people have asked for a membership class. And I thought this would be a great opportunity for our whole church if you haven't been, if you haven't joined the membership of our church yet, if you come to the services, that's going to be a six-week series, um, and 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 at the end of it, you'll have an opportunity to ask questions and clarify a lot of things. Um, but if you come to it and you hear everything, come in with your eyes wide open. Uh, you can you can join the membership of this church. And and for those of you who are members already, what a great reminder of who who we are and the story of our church. And the commitments that we have as members that we will make. So it's going to be a great time. It's going to start on June 13th. I believe that's a Sunday. And I'm looking forward to sharing that time with you. So if you're a member, if you're not a member and you'd like to be one, make sure that you come and be a part of that sermon series, our story. But today, uh, I'd like to just do kind of like a part two from last Sunday's sermon and, um, and continue this a message that I shared from last week, which was Pentecost Sunday, and my sermon was on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. I talked about the positives and the negatives of power. And I'd like to continue in that series today or in that, in that message. Last Sunday, I shared a quote from you, with you from, uh, uh, Lord John Dalberg Acton. It's a, it's a, it's a famous quote that uh, more people know about the quote than the one who made the quote. And the quote says, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. The last part of this, uh, this quote, most people don't quote, but I thought it was really interesting to add. And that is, great men are almost always bad men <laughs> because of what power does to people, right? And, 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 and the truth is that, that there's a problem when people have a lust for power. Because a lust for power has turned good people into maniacs. And I think we've witnessed some of that. But thankfully, we have Jesus as our example. And he was the most powerful person who ever lived and walked on the earth. And yet, he, didn't, he wasn't a bad person, Right? So Lord Acton told us clearly that power corrupts people and, 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 and good men are almost always bad because they lust for power. But here we have an example in Jesus who was the most powerful person who ever lived but was a good person in every way. And he was powerful because he did something that no person ever did before him. He overcame the power of death. Right? We all, as believers in Jesus, we know that story. We understand that. Jesus overcame the power of death, which makes him more powerful than anybody who ever lived. And then Jesus did one of the most dangerous things ever recorded in the Bible. He gave that power to us. And thus, my, my sermon series last week was on the power of of the Holy Spirit and what that power uh, helped us with. But as we look at Jesus' example, 
What I'd like to also do is look at how Jesus used power, but maybe more significant today is how he didn't use it. And what you find over and over and over in Scripture is that Jesus used power in a very, very specific way. And most of the time, most of the time, when you read Scripture, Jesus refused power. And he refused especially because he didn't want it for his own gain. And the Apostle Paul does a great job in capturing this understanding of, of the way Jesus used power beautifully. And he puts it in the context of the relationships that we share with others. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. And I love this passage of Scripture. And I love the example that the Apostle Paul calls us to follow in Jesus. Hear the word of the Lord today. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So, the Apostle Paul shares this passage of Scripture with us and he shares this passage of Scripture calling us to look at Jesus to be our example, right? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. And so the example Jesus gives us is that he refuses power for his own gain. And when you look at this passage of Scripture, you find something really beautiful, and that is that Jesus and God are one in the same. They're the same nature. That's what it says. Jesus and God are one in the same. Yet, Jesus didn't grasp for God's power. He didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, the Bible tells us that he lowered himself and became a human being, just like us. Wow, that's amazing. And this is Jesus' example for all of us to follow, right? So, I'm going to give you some more examples of Jesus and how he, uh, his relationship with power and what he did and maybe more importantly, what he didn't do. So, I'll give you the first example. Easy one, right? Jesus was born. He came into this world and he didn't come, as you would expect, as the Son of God and the King of Kings. He didn't come in power. Instead, he came and was born in a barn and placed in a manger. He wasn't put in some golden crib wrapped in satin or silk. He was wrapped up in strips of cloth and placed in a feeding trough for animals. There were no armed guards surrounding him, just barn animals. He came into this world without power, beautifully, because he came into this world like any other person was born into this world, just like us. So he came into this world without power. 
And then, as he began to start his ministry, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 4. As he began his ministry, Jesus fasted in preparation for 40 days. And at the end of his fast, the Holy Spirit led him into the desert to be tempted by the devil. So, this is a very familiar story in the Bible. And when I was growing up and I read this story, this account of Jesus' temptation, the thought that I had back then was Jesus was tempted to turn bread, uh, a stone into bread. That's what I thought. And Jesus was tempted to jump, to, to go up on a, on a high place on a building and jump down and, and, and the angels would catch him. That's what I, I thought that temptation was all about. But when you read carefully this account, do you know what Jesus was truly tempted to do? To show his power. And we know that because the devil, when he tempts Jesus, says this two times. Well, if you really are the Son of God. Right? Almost daring him. If you are the Son of God, show us how powerful you are. Turn these stones into bread because I know you're hungry. And of course, Jesus didn't do it and used scripture. And then the second example, same thing. If you really are the Son of God, then throw yourself from, from the, uh, this high place and, and, and let, make the angels catch you. But interestingly, on the third temptation, he, he didn't even you know, use that phrase, if you are the, the Son of God. He takes him to the highest place in the city to look over everything. And the devil tempts Jesus with all the power in the world. You see everything? All this can be yours. Just bow down and worship me, and all this will be yours. I'm going to just depart from my sermon just a moment to give you a little commentary on something that I discovered so beautifully as I was preparing for this sermon. And that is this. This temptation of Jesus right here is the very same temptation that Adam and Eve faced in the garden. Not the very same, but you can see so many beautiful parallels. And one of the parallels is this. That the devil used power as a temptation for Adam and Eve. If you eat the fruit, you're going to be just like God. Isn't that amazing? That, that he tempted them with power, which is really not that amazing because power is a temptation that many people have. But here's a really interesting thing. And this is part of the, what, what I really want to share with you about this side note. And that is this. That the power or the temptation that the devil used to tempt Adam and Eve and to try to tempt Jesus is the very same thing in that Adam and Eve were already created like God, right? And the devil tempted Adam and Eve with something they already had. Isn't that interesting? You will become like God. Well, what does the Bible tell us? That they were created in the image of God. That they had relationship with God and they were tasked to reveal the character of God to all creation. And yet, the devil used this temptation of, of, the, of something they already had to tempt them. It's amazing. Jesus, the same thing. What did, what did the, the devil try to tempt Jesus with? With power? Well, Jesus already has power. In fact, he's the most powerful person there ever lived. And if we're not careful, church, we get tempted by things that we already have, but we're blind to it. 
And we fall for the devil's schemes. And so, I just threw that in there as a bonus for you. Um, uh, so that you can take that with you. But that doesn't really go with my message. So, we'll come back to the message now. <laughs> so, Jesus refuses to be tempted to show his power. Isn't that interesting? Why wouldn't Jesus want to show power? Is a great question. And uh, I thought a lot about it. And the reason I think that Jesus doesn't want to show power is because he wants more than showing his power to show the depth of his love. And Jesus wants people to follow him, not because he's powerful, but Jesus wants people to follow him as a response to his great love for them. I want to share this example with you from John chapter 6. You may know that in John chapter 6, it's the powerful story where Jesus actually uses power to feed the 5,000. They come to hear Jesus preach. Thousands of people come to hear Jesus preach. And Jesus says, we need to feed them. But they don't have enough food. And so Jesus, so the little boy comes up. I have five loaves and two fish. Jesus thanks God for it and begins to distribute the food. And 5,000 people are fed amazingly. This is a beautiful act of power, Right? And Jesus clearly uses power to feed the hungry and share the good news. But he doesn't want to take it for his own advantage. Look at what verses 14 and 15 say. After the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, feeding 5,000, they began to say, surely this is the prophet to come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, what did he do? He took control of the thing, the whole situation. No. He withdrew again to a mountain by himself. That was puzzling to me when I first read that. Why did Jesus refuse power? They came to make him king. Isn't that what Jesus came to be? The king of the Jews? Why did he withdraw then? This is another example of Jesus refusing to take power. And the reason why I think Jesus withdrew It's because Jesus doesn't want people to follow him because of his power. Instead, he wants followers to respond to his great love. And the reason for that, church, that I want you to know is because love is what transforms hearts, not power. Another amazing, powerful example of Jesus refusing to use power is found in Luke chapter 23, verse 36 and 37. Here in this passage, Jesus is nailed to the cross. And after he's nailed to the cross, soldiers, right, verse uh, verse 36, after the soldiers nailed Jesus to the cross, they mocked him and said, if you are the king of the Jews, then save yourself. What a great time for Jesus to show the whole world who he is. Don't you think? If it was me and my pride, 
<laughs> would probably be what caused me to want to use power in this instance, right? Because you and I both know Jesus could have easily come down from the cross. Everyone was watching. And it's a perfect time to show your power. I mean, if Jesus came down from the cross at that moment, don't you think everybody would put their faith in Him and believe in Him? But instead of showing power in this instance right here, you know what Jesus does? He's motivated by love. And so He stays on the cross. Because there was a greater work to be done to make sure that our sins were taken care of and that the punishment of our sins was taken care of. That, that is love. And i got to tell you, because I've tried to live this, that it is way, way, way more difficult to show love than to show power. I was hoping to get an amen out of that one. <laughs> it is, it's way more difficult to show love than to show power. But let me just, for, for argument's sake, if Jesus did come, off, to come down off the cross and He showed His power at that moment, do you think things would be different? Because Jesus did all kinds of miracles. Right? He showed power in many, many different ways. He made the blind see. He made the deaf hear. He turned water into wine. And did it change anyone's heart? Did it change anyone? Did, did, was anyone transformed by that? When we look in Acts chapter 1, verse 15, after Jesus died and rose again and met with his disciples, Right through all the trauma of that crisis moment, how many people do you think were there? Those transformed people. With all the miracles that Jesus performed. If you turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 15, it says so. Do you know how much were left? 120. That's what the Bible says. There was about 120 people left. What happened to the 5,000 people that ate the bread and fish? Or, or the people that were at the wedding that tasted the beautiful wine? What about the people that saw Lazarus who came back from the dead? Surely any single one of these miracles would have changed people's heart and they would have been there, right? No. There's only 120. Isn't that amazing? You know why Jesus refuses to use power? Because he'd rather show love. Because love, church, is what transforms hearts. It's what changes people. When you respond to love. And one of the greatest acts of love is when, didn't, when, when Jesus didn't show his power. And he didn't come down off the cross. And because of that great love, he refused power. And he died for our sins. So we can be redeemed. And we can be reconciled to God. The only greater act of love from what Jesus did on the cross was when he didn't let death keep him in the grave. And he let love and the power of that raise him up. And he rose from the grave. And that church is the power that He gives to you and me. That's our power right there. 
And if we're going to show any kind of power in this world, let it be the power in our relationships that we have with one another to show the power of God's love through us and share our salvation that we so enjoy with those around us that don't know Jesus. Let's use power to transform hearts that way. Because when you boil it all down, it comes to relationships, to me anyway. That's where the rubber meets the road, in relationships. And Jesus' example to us is that love calls us to give up power so that we can fully, fully, and deeply love one another. Because in any relationship, in any relationship, the person exercising the greatest amount of power shows the least amount of love. It's true. It's called the principle of least interest. You can look it up. In any relationship, whoever exercises the most power exercises the least amount of love. I'll give you a great example of that. Let's say there's a couple, a boy and a girl. And the boy, he really loves this girl. I mean, he's smitten. He is in love. Some people know how that feels. <laughs> On this side is the girl. And she likes him, but she's not in love with him. And some people know what that's like too. <laughs> in this relationship, who holds the power? Is it the one who loves deeply? Do, does, does, does the boy exercise the terms of the relationship? Or is it the one who does not love the most and the deepest that dictates the terms of the relationship? It's pretty clear. It's the one that doesn't love as much. That's why it's called the principle of least interest. And the one that does not love as much always exercises the most power. She's in control because he's in love. And the problem is, when it comes to power, is that when we seek it for our own advantage, and it happens even in the church, sadly, but it's true. In Matthew chapter 20 is another example of that that's happened right with Jesus, where the mother of James and John comes to Jesus and she says, when, when you come into power, would you allow my sons to sit at your left and your right? You know the story. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. And they said, we can do it. We want to be there. And maybe they had good intentions. I don't know. But I can tell you one thing. We know the results of that. Because in verses 24 to 28, we see how power fractures relationships. The lust for power is what divides people. Hear the word of God. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. <laughs> That's what happens when people try to gain power. Those see that, like, what are you doing? And then Jesus addresses the situation. And let's hear the words of Jesus. Jesus called them together and said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles? They lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. 
Just as Jesus, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's our calling, church. So Jesus teaches this, right? But does he really do it? Does Jesus give up power to love us? (laughs) You know the answer. Because the Apostle Paul recorded it so beautifully with the passage of Scripture I began with today. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made as a human. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Over and over and over again, Jesus gives up power so he can love fully. And if you had a choice, church, would you rather have a Jesus who brings salvation by power and punishment? Or would you rather have a Jesus who brings salvation by the demonstration of great love? Because if you respond to power and punishment, your obedience is because of fear. But a response to genuine love is to love back. And that's where hearts get changed. To obey because love and care and compassion is shown. And that's the heart that Jesus has and why he refuses to show power, to lord it over people because he doesn't want our response to him as our Savior and our Lord to be one where we fear and tremble and we obey out of fear. But he wants our response to be because we respond to this great love that he has for us. And our only response is, God, I love you back. And if you remember what I said last Sunday about what the Holy Spirit empowers us to do, and that is, the Holy Spirit empowers us to love Jesus the way He should be loved. To love Jesus the way God intended for us to love Him. Not how I want to love Him, or how you choose to love Him, but the way God intends for us to love Him. I'm going to close my sermon today with a passage of Scripture where you see the clash of power and love come together in one place. And there's a beautiful example of, of how, how we can respond to power when it comes to love. Now, it's found in, in John chapter 8. And you can turn there if you want, but you know what I, what I recommend you do? Excuse me. Close your eyes. And as I read, just picture yourself in the scene that I'm going to read for you. Place yourself right next to Jesus. And as I read, watch with your mind's eye what unfolds 
and, and, and be a person there in this scene right here. Beginning John chapter 8, beginning at verse 2. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to preach and teach at them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And in the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus strained up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. When worlds collide, power and love, may we be people who choose to love. Because, church, you have received power by the Holy Spirit. And my prayer is that we live in the spirit of repentance to ensure a right relationship with Jesus and then use the power God has given us to redeem, to restore, and to reconcile yourself with God and those that you live with in relationship with into a loving relationship with Jesus. Today, as we close our service, if you would like to restore your relationship with Jesus, if you'd like to live in the spirit of repentance, that's the reason why I'm here. It's to help our church get to that place where our relationship with Jesus is right. And in doing so, we can use power to restore and reconcile one another with God and with each other. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. Let's forego power for power's sake. And let us love deeply.